Uh, my name's Matt. I'm the pastor here of Tri-City Church, and uh, we are very glad that you're, you're joining us here for Easter Sunday. Um, as, you, as you've seen, we're, we're going to celebrate uh, a bunch. We're going to sing some songs, as we've already done. Uh, by the end, we'll sing a few more. Uh, we also have a, a newly built and water-tested baptism tank, and so uh, we'll have some baptisms also uh, by the end of our service. Uh, but for now, what we're going to do is, is really the same thing we do every Sunday, which is to uh, come to God's Word, uh, to look for His wisdom, to see what He has to say to us. And uh, today, not surprisingly, it's, it's all about the Easter story. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 23 and 24, and the title of the message is The Hope of Paradise. And we're going to look at both those things, uh, hope and, and paradise. Uh, hope, because the Easter story is really a story of hope. I mean, it's a story of, of Jesus, it's a story of his, uh, his life, mostly his death, and then certainly his, his resurrection, uh, but it's a story that's been told for generations because it is a story of, of hope, and hope is, is something that's worth uh, thinking about, worth talking about a bit. See, uh, hope is one of those things that, that all human beings need. Uh, hope is the thing that we, we look to when things are, are difficult. Uh, when there's a, a trying time in our lives, the hope is what we're looking to for something good on the horizon. Uh, if someone is going through a tough time, like a breakup or, or a sickness, an illness, uh, when we visit them, we usually bring something. We bring chicken noodle soup. We bring a pint of ice cream. But with our words, we want to comfort, but more than likely, we want to also bring hope. We, we want to say, whatever's going on right now, it, it is difficult. It, it is it is. It is tough, but, but there's hope for the future. That's the value of hope, that it's the expectation of something good that will come to us in the future, even if right now is difficult. Our whole lives are built around hope. Even if you think of our weekly rhythm, right? We're always hoping for the weekend. Ever since we got into grade one and we realized that there's going to be a spelling test every week, vocab on Friday, we think, ah, oh, when Friday's there, then I don't have to worry anymore. I'm free. I can stay up late. I can sleep in, watch cartoons. As adults, it's kind of the same thing, except we don't get to sleep in if we have kids. They're up early anyway, but we still hope for the weekend. It's still something we look forward to. Our whole lives are, are built around things that we're looking forward to. Uh, think of vacations, right? It's, it's tough right now. It's dreary, but we have that vacation on the horizon that, that kind of lifts our spirits. The, even things like relationships, uh, you meet a new guy, you meet a new girl, all of a sudden things are looking up. There's hope there. A new job is hopeful. A promotion is certainly hopeful. Even retirement. All those things, they, they say to us that even if it's difficult now, in the future some good will come to us and so we can make it through. That's the beauty of hope. But of course, that's the, the reason that false hope is, is so devastating. Because with, with false hope... You started out here, and then something happened, and your expectations got raised. You, you met someone new. You met a guy. You met a girl, and, and you're, you're excited about the prospect. Your, your boss hinted at perhaps a promotion, and now you're kind of flying high. And if the wheels come off that thing, then you feel even lower than you did at first. Right? If they turn out to be not the person of your dreams, oh, you're, you're crushed. For hope really to be valuable, it needs to be a dependable hope. It needs to come through in the end. And that's the difficulty with any of our earthly hopes is that there's always a shelf life on our hope. That no matter how good it is, there's always something on this earth, in this life that means that, that will not endure forever. 
Because death, death is the final obstacle to all hope. We know this. We experience it. I came across a quote by uh, Stephen Hawking, famous uh, physicist, recently deceased. And he says this about life and hope. He says, however bad life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. Where there's life, there is hope. And he's absolutely true. While we're alive, even in the most dire of circumstances, there's always the possibility of hope. But with death, all of that ends. With death, it's, it's the end of life and the end of hope. Which is, of course, why the Easter story is so compelling. Because in the Easter story, death is not the end of hope. In fact, in the Easter story, it's through death that our genuine and lasting hope arrives. It's through the death of Jesus on the cross, taking the penalty for our sin, that then the doorway to hope opens up once again. And in fact, what Jesus offers through his death and his resurrection is the hope not just of an earthly good life, but in fact, the hope of paradise, the hope of heaven. And, and fittingly, we see in the actual story of Easter, we see him offer this hope to the men who are crucified with him. One man in particular. If you know, Jesus was, was crucified as a criminal. Uh, he, was, he was tried. He was convicted. Uh, they didn't have any guilt to con- convict him, but they still, they still convicted him. They still put him to death. And he found himself crucified on the cross with two other criminals. That, that was typical for the day. And we're going to look at the exchange between the criminals and Jesus. That's kind of our focus for our time because it's really fascinating. I'm going to read to you from uh, Luke 23. This is the first criminal to, I don't know, left or right. The one criminal, and he is not, he is not hopeful. He's not happy. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. See there, this is a man who, is, who has lost all hope. He's heard of Jesus. He's heard of his miracles, of his, of his power over life and, and healing, but he has no hope. Because if, if Jesus really has all that power, what is he doing crucified next to him? He sees him, he mocks him. If you really are supposed to be the, the savior, the Christ, then you should show your power. Save yourself, save us. He's a man who's hopeless. And Jesus has nothing to say to him. There's not much to say. But then there's another man. And this man is, is very, very different. This man also has heard about Jesus. And what we see is that he ends up defending Jesus. It says in verse 40, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a man who at the brink of death is still longing for hope. He's still looking for some measure of of good that might come in the future, even though he and Jesus are about to breathe their last breaths. He's looking to Jesus for hope beyond this life. Now, most people, most people in this situation, um, I think that we would offer a hope that is melodic, melodious, <laughs> that is joyful to listen to. No, we would, we would offer a hope that is, uh, I think, vague. I think is what we would do. If we were talking to someone who was near death and we weren't really sure what was happening next, probably we would say something like, hey, it, it's okay. It, it, it's almost over. You're, you're, going, you're going to a better place, right? The end is near. I'll pray for you. We, we would say something vaguely encouraging. 
but not Jesus. Jesus offers words of very specific encouragement, specific hope. He says this to the man, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, just think of those words, truly, meaning I'm absolutely sure that today, not in the distant future, not, not a hope that sometime, somewhere, things will get better, but this very day, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, that is a word that is brimming with hope. That is a word that overflows with hope. See, when he says paradise, it means the exact same thing as we mean it today. When we think of paradise, we think of, of a sandy beach, don't we? I mean, we live in Canada. Even in the west of Canada, we still think of a tropical paradise, some place where we will be absolutely peaceful, where we will be enjoying life. But see, the essence of paradise is, is more than just a warm climate. The people in Hawaii, um, when they think of paradise, I don't know, maybe they also think of a beach, but they could, they could go to a beach anytime they want. That, that's not really what they're longing for. They're longing for something more. They're longing for an existence that is utterly joyful, utterly relaxed. I mean, that's what we're hoping for on that beach, we know that all the pressures of life are somewhere else. We know that whatever burdens we have, we don't have to think of it right then. Because right then, we're on a beach with a lawn chair or a beach chair, and, and we're, we're joyful. We're, paradise means an existence where every aspect of our reality is completely satisfying, completely peaceful, completely joyful. In fact, I would say it's the encapsulation of all of our hopes, as we hope in things in this life, really what we're doing is we're trying to inch a little bit closer to paradise, to some sense of, of joy and satisfaction in this life. And, and the reality is that some people, they get very, very close. There are some people who are enjoying a wonderful life. I came across some of them. I was reading a National Geographic article um, on happiness, some of the happiest places in the world. They measured it somehow. I'll tell you right now, Canada, we didn't make the list, I'm sorry to say, uh, but three countries were, were the top of the list. These three countries, Denmark, Costa Rica, and Singapore. And uh, you'll see the graphs, they had graphs in the magazine, and uh, they measure different aspects of life, right, community, financial, uh, the purpose we feel in life, our physical life, and all of those things, they, you know, they measured it, and uh, these were the countries that rated the top. These were the happiest. Now, you'll notice that they're not all the same. But there are three uh, common denominators, three things that were more or less the same for all these countries. They said the people in these countries, they feel secure, they feel a sense of purpose, and they enjoy lives that minimize stress and maximize joy. And so then they give a few profiles of some of the people. And so I'm going to read to you one of them. Uh, this man's name is Alejandro Zuniga. He's from Costa Rica. Here's what it says about his life. Uh, he is a healthy, middle-aged father who socializes at least six hours a day. Because <laughs> he's, he's in Costa Rica, I guess. I don't know. Uh, he has a few good friends he can count on. He sleeps at least seven hours most nights. He walks to work. He eats six servings of fruits and vegetables most days. Uh, he works no more than 40 hours a week at a job he loves with coworkers he enjoys. He spends a few hours every week volunteering. On the weekends, he worships God and he indulges his passion for soccer. Man, that seems like a really great life, I gotta admit. Part of me just kind of wants to mess with Alejandro. Like that's, I mean, you're enjoying it too much, Alejandro. Come on. Six servings of fruits and vegetables every day, six hours of socializing. Who does that? Who has time for that? Anyway, the, the point is that we, we hear stories like this and we think, man, I, I would like a life like that. That would be great. 
That sounds satisfying and relaxed. But we also know that there, there are inherent limits to whatever hope and joy and, and paradise we can find on earth. We know that even in these three countries, there are people that are, that are desperately unhappy. There are people that have, that have been happy for a while, and yet something is going to happen this year that is going to lower their level of happiness. Some relational breakdowns, something, some financial issue that is really going to make them struggle. We know this because that's what happens in our life. We probably aren't aiming at paradise. We're just aiming at a good life, a life where we can make ends meet, a life where there's, there's peace and there's some measure of joy. And yet with every, with every inch that we creep towards that, things seem to break down, don't they? We tend to, we tend to be disappointed even when we get the things we're hoping for or the things that we're hoping for just never seem to pan out. Human happiness always seems to break down and earthly paradise, it, it never does seem to last. Have you ever wondered what, why is that? Why is it that despite our best efforts, we can never quite get there? Well, the Bible has an answer for us. The Bible uh, points something out that, that I think is actually pretty obvious when we think about it. The Bible says there is actually a common denominator when it comes to uh, the breakdown of joy in our life, the breakdown of peace and satisfaction, and that common denominator is us. We are the ones who are there. We are the ones who have contributed to the, the plight of society, to the, to the troubles in our lives. Certainly there are other things that come in, but, but the Bible says, in fact, that, that we did have paradise. We had it, but we lost it. If you look to the beginning of the book, the origin of humanity, we find another story, not another myth or a tale, but in fact, a historical account of the beginnings of humanity. And there we find, we find paradise. In fact, all the markers, all the National Geographic markers are checked off. Uh, Adam and Eve were secure. They were purposeful. They had a, a life of low stress and lots of joy. They had relational harmony with each other and with God, but they ruined it. They ruined it because they began to trust in themselves rather than God. See, we often hear the story of Adam and Eve and the fruit, and we think it was that moment where they grabbed that, that fruit. Why did he put it there? But that's the moment where everything went wrong, but it actually happened before then. It happened when they began to distrust or doubt God's word, and they began to put all of their stock in their own wisdom. See, as they turned from God, and began to walk their own way, that is the moment when hope emptied out the bottom of human existence. And it was replaced with insecurity and fear and doubt and worry. All the things that we know very well from our existence here on this earth. We look around and we see that this is, this is the plight of humanity. That sin has brought us very far from paradise. As we've disobeyed and gone against God, that there has been increasing dissatisfaction. And God's, God's warning to us is that sin hasn't just brought us far from paradise in this life, but also in the life to come. He says that the consequences for sin is, is not just momentary death, but death forever. And that this is the, the ultimate state of hopelessness. Now, the, the amazing thing, though, about this book is that that happens near the very beginning. And in fact, there's a whole other story that is to be told. In fact, it's a story that God planned from beginning, from before the beginning. 
that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they, they got together, they accounted for human beings' disobedience. They planned before the beginning of time that there would be a way for us to recapture paradise, to recapture hope, but it wouldn't be based on our own strength or our own wisdom. It would be completely based on, on the work of Jesus on the cross. And so when he turns to that man and he says, today you will be with me in paradise, he means it. In fact, he means it much more than we can ever imagine. He, he means literally a return to the perfect existence where we have no hopes, no concerns, no worries. He means heaven. In fact, that's what God has been wanting to reveal through Jesus. That's what Jesus, when he came to earth and started preaching, the very first thing he said is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And by repent, he, mean, he meant turn from your sin, turn from trusting in yourselves and turn to God. For there, there is the expectation of a kingdom, a perfect paradise, heaven itself. And Jesus goes on to say that, that I am the way there. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's something unique about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that means he is the one who opens the door to this perfect paradise of heaven. Now, I think if we're to think seriously about paradise, we need to ask two questions. The first question is this. What does Jesus mean by paradise? What exactly are we talking about? What kind of good is being promised for the future? And secondly, how do we know that it's not false hope? Because false hope is the worst kind of hope. So we're going to answer these, first, uh, these two questions. Firstly, what does Jesus mean by paradise? What does the Bible mean when it talks about heaven? What are we looking forward to? Well, there's a, a picture of it. A picture of it in Revelation. Uh, and here's what we see. I'm going to read it through and then pull out a few, at least uh, three things that we see here about the expectation of, of the heaven uh, that the Bible talks about. Uh, Revelation 21 says this, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So three things we see about the reality of heaven. Number one, we see that it's going to be physical. We are not going to float around on clouds playing harps. I think if you want a harp, you can probably get one, but it's not mandatory, is my point, right? You want a harp? Play along. But you don't have to have one. What we see is that there's a city that comes down, a real city, and that people engage in life just like we do here today. The Bible says that we are going to have physical bodies, ones that can, can enjoy things like sport and creativity. We can work. We can, all the purposeful, enjoyable things that we're doing here and now will also be there in heaven, except it will be perfect. I mean, if, if you're going to an Easter dinner and it's good food, that is a literal foretaste of what will be happening in heaven. Because in heaven, it begins with a feast, with a feast with all sorts of good food, with, with pie, and I'm sure there'll be fruits there for Alejandro. There'll be lots of great things. But the amazing thing is that our, our bodies will be perfect. They won't decay. We don't have to worry about cholesterol or any of those things, heart disease. It will be enjoyable. It will be physical. The second thing we see is that uh, it will be relational. It says there, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And there what we see is, 
is an answer to some of the, the deepest angst of our humanity. I mean, we spend our lives trying to figure out who we are and why we're here. It begins as teenagers, where we try to find ourselves and sometimes continues through our 20s. It usually shows up again in midlife, where we have to buy a motorcycle or something to try to figure out what's going on. But really, the whole while, what we want to know is, is like, why am I here? What was I, what was I made for? Is there any purpose in my life? And here we see that, that that is all answered in our relationship with our creator, that we are his people, that he dwells with us. And that brings an inner peace of knowing exactly who we are, that we are more valuable than we could ever imagine. So it's relational. But finally, it's also joyful. It says there that he, that is Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. We have an existence without trips to the hospital. There's no trips to the hospice. There's no mourning. There's no reason for pain. There, there's no pain inflicted on us, whether physical pain or emotional or psychological. We wake up every day with the absolute assurance that it will be a good day that our bodies are fit, that our minds are healthy, and that we can enjoy fully the life that God has made for us. I mean, this is the beauty of heaven. This is the overwhelming promise of heaven. And, and the danger, a little bit of talking about heaven, is sometimes, see, on earth, we never want to oversell things too much. You, you know what I mean? We, we don't want to get our expectations too high. Because generally speaking, things are never as great as we think they might be. I'm not sure about you, uh, but our family is very excited about the prospect of going to the new Star Wars land at Disneyland. Hmm? Are you also excited? Maybe like us, you've decided to eat only every three days so you can save money to go. <laughs> we are very excited. If it ever will happen, it's open in 2019, we'll see if we make it. But, but see, that is going to be a wonderful place. If you like Star Wars, it's going to be fantastic. The, the joy of standing before a life-size Millennium Falcon is almost overwhelming. <laughs> but I know that it's not going to be perfect. Because I will be there with 100,000 other people. We'll be like sardines. And if I want to buy something to drink, I'm going to go and get a, a drink in the shape of Chewbacca's head and it's going to cost $15. But I'm going to love it. But not, not perfectly though. It's going to be great, but not perfect. That's like everything in this life. There are great things, great experiences, but they are never perfect. And the thing is, heaven is not like that. Heaven is great and perfect. Every expectation met to its full. In fact, the danger of heaven is not overestimating it, it's, it's really underestimating the realities of heaven. That because it seems so far off, because it seems in the future, we, we tend to get caught up in the things of this world. We tend to think that there are greater joys here and now rather than what is to come, but the Bible says no. The Bible says that the heaven is, is what we are longing for. It is going to meet every expectation. So if that's true, then the next question is, how do we know it's not a false hope? How do we know we aren't going to be let down? This is a question that Stephen Hawking brings up. Uh, again, another quote I found by him. He says this. He says, I regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And really what he's saying is, look, death is the end. The only reason that you're hoping in something beyond it is because you're scared. You want to feel better. And so you're making something up, but that, that's for kids. Adults know that sometimes things just end. 
And so death is final. Death is insurmountable. Death is the end of life, and so it's the end of hope for everyone. Except it wasn't for everyone. See, Jesus met death, and he went through it. Jesus came to the end of all earthly hope, and he pushed through. Through the power of his divinity, through his perfection, he in fact achieved the doorway to hope that goes beyond this life. And we see it in the Easter story. I'm going to read from Luke 24. This is after Jesus has been crucified, after he's been buried, put in a tomb with guards at the entrance. And it says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And what we find, what we find after this, both in the pages of the Bible and in the annals of history is that the resurrected Jesus come back to life, he appears to people, not just a few, not just a few isolated incidents, but he has hundreds of appearances where Jesus in his resurrected body, a body that people touch and feel, he eats with them where they witness his resurrection. And this brings their faith to an all-time high. They, they all of a sudden know for sure that there is hope beyond the grave. One of the most compelling testimonies is that of James, the brother of Jesus. See, James, when Jesus started doing miracles and telling people that, that he is the Christ and, and saying, believe in me, James didn't. James said, this is my brother. I'm not going to believe in him. James had no expectation that he would ever see Jesus after his crucifixion. And yet Jesus appeared to him, resurrected, alive. And the next thing we see in scripture is that James is a pastor. He is leading the Jerusalem church And like all of the apostles, they are not just telling people about the hope of Jesus, they're willing to be put to death for their belief. They are so convicted about this truth and so hopeful in it, so passionate that other people would know this hope that they will not stop talking about Jesus. In fact, James is thrown from the roof of the temple. He's beaten with clubs to stop him because he will not stop. He knows that people need a hope beyond this life. And see, that's the mark of real hope. Joy and purpose in life, but no fear in death. That's how you know you've got, a, you've got a hope that lasts. Because no matter what may come on the horizon, you have a real expectation that good will still come your way. This is what we see in the words of the man on the cross. Next to Jesus, the criminal. Look again, he says, he says we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. He's acknowledging that that he is a sinner, that he has done wrong. He's justly condemned for his actions. But this man, he says, this man has done nothing wrong. He recognizes the innocence of Christ. And then he says, then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There it's a it's a plea for mercy. Notice he he doesn't say anything about what he's done. He doesn't say anything about his works. He just He just appeals to the power and grace of Jesus. He says, I believe that you are going into your kingdom, that there is life beyond this. 
And Jesus, I just pray you'd remember me. And see, it's at that moment that that faith is real, that he has the certainty of his hope. Jesus, Jesus is able to, to say with, with absolute certainty, you will be in paradise. You will. Why? Because he already has faith in Christ. See, the hope of, of heaven is not just a hope in some great physical reality. That will be true. The weather will be warm. It will be beautiful. But the essence of paradise is that Jesus will be there. And, and that's the essence of our hope. Not that we just hope that things will get better, but that we hope in a person. A person who took our place on the cross, died there in our place, and then was resurrected. And, and the compelling hope that we too have a hope beyond the grave. That's why there is hope for this man. <clears throat> That's why Jesus speaks so, so passionately about the paradise that comes because even at the moment of death, there is hope. And the truth of the matter is that it's, it's usually at the point of death when we gain greater clarity about the strength of our hope. If we have earthly hopes, when we get closer to death, we come to the end of them. For those that have a hope beyond the grave, we tend to get more peaceful. There, there, is, there is hope beyond what is happening. There is still the expectation of good to come. And I think for the Easter story, what it's meant to do is to give us that hope, to offer it to us, but also, also to, to have us examine our own hopes. To say, for me, today, what am I looking forward to in the future? What, what promise do I have that good will come my way? And how far out does that go? Where's the horizon line? Is death the end? Is there anything past death that right now I can claim and I can expect that will be good coming my way? And if not, I invite you to consider the offer of Christ, the man who went through death because he wasn't just a man. He was God himself in the flesh. Come to recapture for us the paradise that we lost. The mark of real hope is joy and purpose in life, but also no fear of death. And we have that in the Easter story. And we also have a, a wonderful opportunity to celebrate this hope through baptism. We are going to hear in a moment some testimonies of those that have placed their faith in Jesus. This is one of the, the greatest opportunities we have as a church and for our honored guests to see what it means to, to follow the Lord. We're going to do two things. We're going to, um, you have their written testimonies, but we're going to have on video just some excerpts from their stories for what Jesus has done in their life. And then we're going to get into the tank and we're going to baptize. There are 11 uh, people on video. We have three now. We've done some earlier today. And the baptism itself is a picture of the hope we have in Jesus. As the person is, is brought under the water, that's a picture of our death, that Jesus was crucified for our sins and we die with him, but then we are raised to new life up out of the water, claiming the hope that Jesus offers. And so I, I invite you to, to watch and to listen, but also to examine your own hopes and to consider what it would mean to, to follow Jesus and lay claim of the promise of the hope of heaven. So let's watch together. 